Insert gay card. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Wish I knew how queens. Susan, I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. I am Robbie Roselle. And I'm Rob Schneider. And, and this is oh, Gay Card, card Revoked. <laughs> Terrible. It was so Disney Club of us. I liked it. It truly, yeah. it was like watching the the uh, convention on how everything's just on Zoom all the time. <laughs> it's, it's good. Amy Klobuchar is like, how do I turn this off? How do I? <laughs> She's the one. <laughs> it's been it's been an interesting it's been an interesting few weeks. But I'm actually I'm loving this convention. The Can, couch convention. Yeah, the couch. <laughs> I like yeah. to, People are wearing sweats. No one's putting in any effort. I love it. I Yoga absolutely band. love it. I'm yes. wearing more than most of them right now. What? And tell tell our listeners what you're wearing. Oh, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Um, I don't know if our guests can see it, but it's Carol Burnett in the curtains in the Went with the Wind sketch, uh, a drawing of it. I this guy Alejandro. I do not remember his last name, but I wear his shirts all the time. You often see me in like a Barbara Streisand one. Mm. Yeah, funny girl. They're great. We'll post that for our listeners if yeah, they want to go should. and purchase some. Hey, yeah. we should we should get our guest on here pretty fast oh, because come on, I am why not? He is a a legend, a legend in our field. All right. So just a reminder before we bring him on, folks, once great. again, you were supposed to watch Anti-Mame, which is available on iTunes and Amazon Prime. And you should have an anti-mame associated drink with you. Robbie, would you be so kind as to tell everyone what the anti-mame drink is for this episode? Clearly, it's an ups and daiquiri. What else would it be? And I'm sure you're asking yourself, how do you make an ups and daiquiri? And I'm here to tell you that I'm going to read Rob's directions of how to make them that he copied from somewhere on Google. Thank you, Google. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, just shout out Google. All right. So it's two ounces light rum, an ounce of fresh lime juice, a three quarter ounce of uh, sugar syrup, like a simple syrup, really uh, garnish with a lime twist. That's it. It's very easy. Well chilled. Shake it, strain it, garnish it, drink it. It's the ups and daiquiri. What a and gift. To give that ups and sweetness, you can add a little bit of honey. I love that that actor. We'll talk about him, but he's he's oh, one yeah. of my favorites. And another one of my favorites and one of your favorites is the incredible guest that we have today. So our guest today is the acclaimed actor, playwright, cabaret performer, drag legend, emphasis on the word legend, and an expert in all things auntie mame. Auntie mame? Auntie mame. Auntie mame. Auntie uh, auntie. The wonderful. Let's call the whole thing off. Let's call the whole thing off. The wonderful. <laughs> let's not call off this person. He's the author and the star of over 25 plays, including The Divine Sister, The Lady in Question, Red Scare on Sunset, The Tribute Artist, The Confession of Lily Dare, and Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, which ran forever. He's also wrote uh, The Tale of the Eldritch Wife, which played on Broadway for 777 performances and was nominated for a Tony for it. So good. Um, yeah, it's so good. And uh, it's the longest running Broadway comedy of the past 25 years. You know him from his movies like Psycho Beach Party and Die, Mommy, Die. And so he, he is it's so good. It's so, so good. good. I could just talk to And he also shows up on TCM every once in a while oh. as, as, as a talking head. Why so I, I, I am so happy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Charles Bush. Oh. Charles, how are you? Oh, I'm doing remarkably well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I live here in, in the Bohemian Quarter on, on Bank Street, uh, actually across the street from where uh, Patrick Dennis's real life aunt uh, lived. Oh my the, gosh. The, the character of Auntie Mame was 
based uh, uh, inspired by uh, his his aunt Marion Marion Tanner. And I she did not know that. In, in the building across the street from you on Bank Street. That's I had no idea. You live that there. Is, That's incredible. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. Now you also have a really distinct honor, and please correct me if this number is wrong. But you have played Auntie Mame three times on stage. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Yes, and on tour. And on tour. Oh. <laughs> My tour de force was forced to tour. <laughs> yes, yes. No, no, I played it uh, several, gosh, numerous. We did rather memorable uh, one night um, Actors Fund benefits with these incredible all-star cast. And then I did it once in LA uh, as a stage reading, and then finally, ultimately, um, a full production that we that we toured at, at two summer summer theaters. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So I got it out of my system. <laughs> I don't know that it's out of your system. I'd like to see it I, come back. Yes, can you do it again, please? Uh, I'd say it's it's a strenuous role. And uh, before I did the tour or the full production, I had uh, it was with my my cardiologist. And I, and I said to her, she's not very showbiz savvy. Uh, I said, Dr. Jones, I said, do you think that I have the stamina to play Auntie Mame? And, and she said, will you have to be lifting anything heavy? I said, I'm carrying the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, she thought I was gonna be lifting like, you know, 50 sure. pound weights or something. I said, just, just some the show. comedy perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is the best line. That is amazing. Now, okay, so Charles, for our listeners who might not be aware just yet, how would you summarize the plot of Auntie Mame? Uh, well, Auntie Mame is uh, about a, a young boy who's orphaned. And when his father uh, dies, he's sent to live with his uh his uh, father's sister is Auntie Mame, and this is the 20s, and she's, uh, he's brought to live with her at her, at her, her fabulous apartment, Beekman Place, he's never met her before, and she's this outrageous uh, life force, uh, and he gets swept up in her, her world, and, and so she, uh, and he, in, in his way, as this little boy, kind of saves her from this old life that's a bit, bit lonely and uh and then later in the story she she's she saves him as well you know it's a very very beautiful story i love that they say they save one another that, yeah. that's wonderful um when did you first discover auntie mame hmm. well no um my life is sort of is auntie mame in the fact that i my mother died when i was seven years old and and ultimately i went to live with my Aunt Lil in Manhattan. It was kind of the same story. Uh, and I, she took me to see a musical, Mame, uh, with Angela Lansbury. So I guess I was 66. So, um, you know, I, I might have first discovered it as the musical Mame, but I don't know. Maybe I might have even seen it before that. I, you know, I think um, it's possible that. That my father had a, uh, my father wanted to be an opera singer and he ended up having a record store in Yonkers. And he always did Summer's Theater. And um, anyway, I, so on some Saturdays, I used to have to um, just you know, hang out in his record store all day. And uh, it was, to this day, I have trouble going into like used record stores, just looking yeah. through bins, because that was sort of a horrible, really 
boring Saturday afternoon, just <laughs> going through the bins, you know. Sure, and sure. Anyway, uh, but there was a, a, a big movie palace in Yonkers. And I think that, and I would spend the whole day singing double feature and trying to carry it. And I think I saw a double feature of uh, Auntie Mame and, and the Music Man. They're both oh. Brothers oh. movies. So that both Martin DeCosta movies. Yeah. A long afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I walked out of there. It was it was light when I walked in. It was dark when I got out. And I was just kind of walking bow legged, just trying. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Around so somewhere in the uh, early '60s, I, I saw Auntie Mame and, and Mame, and was certainly um, bowled over. And and interesting that, that my life actually mirrored mirrored it as well. Yeah. And, oh, wow. and I'd love to. And continues, it keeps going. I mean, it keeps going. I'm telling you, does the anti mame it haunts me. And then, um, uh, let's see. What the other other thing was, well, when I uh, my I was my uh, partner, uh, husband, or whatever you want to call him, for many years was is, is a wonderful writer, Eric Myers, and um, we he he wanted Eric has um, among other things he. He co-wrote two wonderful coffee table books about art direction in the movies, and I guess this was in the uh, somewhere in the early two thousands. He really wanted to write a, a biography and do it, find a subject that would be worth researching for a couple of years, and 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 he was having a hard time thinking of a subject that interested him, but also somebody might buy, you know, because we you know we have rather recherche taste. And we were lying in bed, and I one morning he was fast asleep, and I was lying there, and suddenly, boom! I woke up. And I thought, Patrick Dennis, the author of the novel Auntie Mame, and and the author, and also Little Me, and I, I thought, yeah, I'd like to know more about him. And just by the sheer power of my thought, Eric's eyes opened, uh, and I <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, Auntie Mame, mm. Patrick Dennis. And so uh, he ended up um, uh, writing this uh, wonderful book called Uncle Mame, all about the life of Patrick Dennis, who was a fascinating, fascinating man. And so, so during the, um, the, the two years or so that Eric researched the book, we got to know all of the people in Patrick Dennis' circle and became quite friendly with his, his children. And, uh, and, it's a, and to keep the circle going, when uh, I wanted to do the play Auntie Mame. The rights were denied. No, no, no man had ever played the part, and so the the estates of Lawrence and Lee, who did the play adaptation, uh, just rejected our um, proposal. Just mm. even entertain it. I don't think you know. At that point, they're like lawyers. You know, they sure. they didn't know who the hell I was, or so just no. And uh, so I had Patrick Dennis's children intervene and, and they spoke directly to the rights holders and so it, it um we got the permission so i think i i mean i may be the only uh male who's actually been yeah. really sanctioned those rights yeah i think other people have played it but but i'm not sure they weren't doing it on the sly sure definitely played it in their living room yeah that's 100 Coming down a staircase, pretending you're Roz Russell. Yes. Wouldn't you? Well, who doesn't? Who does? <laughs> Rob, when did you discover Auntie Mame? Yeah. When did I first discover it? Yeah. 
I was 13 years old and I was in a community theater production of Mame the Musical. And they, they, one night they, they got us all to sit down and watch it on this old grainy VHS. And that was my first int- introduction to it at 13. And I was so smitten by her, by that energy and that zest for life and that sense of, you know, life is a banquet and if you don't take advantage of it, you're going to starve to death. And I think quite after that, I think that was one of the things that inspired me to come out as an early teenager. I was like, you've only got one life, you got to enjoy it. But that came from uh, seeing it for the first time. And then I saw it recently on Criterion and it's been, you know, refurbished and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and cleaned up. And those colors are so gorgeous and so vivid so i would encourage you if you're going to watch it go to the criterion app don't don't do the vhs like i did either (laughs) either way it's worth it what about you robbie when did you first discover it i probably rented it from the library um because i was just very immersed in like old hollywood was very important in my yeah uh sort of process and then i saw it on the big screen a few years ago here uh, because Hedda Lettuce, who's like a, a famous drag uh, yeah. queen, hosts like these classic nights, uh, or did, um, you know, before the world closed. Um, and that was one of that was uh, one that I carved time out for because I needed to see that on the big screen um, because Roz Russell is so larger than you know every every line she utters ends with an ah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anytime somebody walks into the door, ah, uh, it's all just big and grand. And so to see it on a massive screen was like chef's yeah. kiss. Yeah. yeah. And, and color is so beautiful, as you said. Mm-hmm. It great on a big screen. Yeah, yeah it looks, I'm stunning. And then, Charles, was Rosalind Russell a big influence on you as a performer when you were beginning your performing years, when you were starting off your career in that world? Well, so many actresses of the, the golden age. Yeah were, but certainly Rosalind Russell, as uh, I think she was in some ways the most uh, skilled uh, comedian of, of, of the, the pantheon of great comic actresses. You know, just her diction and the speed that she could speak. And yeah. Play. Yeah. Um, like in her, his Girl Friday. And, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so extraordinary. Yeah, so I, so certainly you know, she she's influenced really the entire cast of the movie The Women. <laughs> are, are, sure. They, yeah. My my screen my stage persona is one part Norma Shearer, one part Rosalind Russell, and one part Joan Crawford. Yeah, with a little bit of Greer Garson thrown in as a garnish. Yeah, I'm a little bit of all. all I take from all all those ladies. And, it informed my my point of view. Greer Garson replaced Rosalind Russell on Broadway in Auntie Mame. Yeah. Yes, actually, it was funny. Um. Uh, a few years ago, a few years ago, uh, Eric and I were having um, dinner at, at at Michael Tanner's, Patrick Jess's son's apartment, and one of the other guests was this uh, uh, very elderly but in great shape British actress Beulah Garrick, huh. who created the role on stage of Nora Muldoon, the uh, um, the nanny. And uh, and so she's in, way in her nineties, but absolutely just you know incredible shape. Just and so she was. We were asking her all about the diff- different actresses who who played Auntie Mame on Broadway because she did the whole run. I oh. was very very upset that she was hoping to do the movie, but uh, Greer Garson, who succeeded uh, uh, Rosalind Russell, it was in her contract that she did would not do the replace 
if the whole cast was decimated and all went off to you know make the movie. So they took some of them. They took mm -hmm. Peggy Cass and uh, but they wouldn't take her, so they recast the the role. Uh, and so she was pretty upset. But she said that she adored Greer Garson. She, so her her opinion on all the different ladies was she said Roz was kind of kind of chilly, but so great to be on stage with and fascinating. And Greer Garson was so lovely, but couldn't get a laugh. <laughs> and then, but then she said, then the third one, they brought in Be the great British comedian, Beatrice Lilly, who came in, and but who had terrible time remembering her lines. And so Viola said that, that at one point they were on stage, I guess it was a scene where uh, they were gonna go off to uh, have Christmas, you know, with Beauregard. And, and B. Lily went up on her lines. And so uh, Beulah Garrick tried to help her and she took her handkerchief and covered her mouth and whispered B. Lily's lines to her. And, and said, B. Lily just said, said, said louder, Beulah. <laughs> I love that. Now, did you get to do one of your uh, your performances as Auntie Mame with uh, Peggy Cass? Yes, the very first one was, was the best, the best. Well, oh, we had the most amazing cast. It was, we had, I think Kelly Bishop was Vera, oh. and, and um, John Davidson was Beau, and Lucy Arnaz, you know, continuing her mother's uh, association with the Mame, was Sally Cato, oh, and nice. oh, I think it was Rue McClanahan or. I know we had, we had just every part was was star studded. Uh, I think B. D. Wong was Ito. Sure. Oh, just you couldn't believe it. Just every every I, I'm missing all sorts of people. Um, what a Bart group so Felden far. Was it? I mean, all these people. Anyway, we got Peggy Cass to play Gooch, and she had been in retirement, and there she was, and she you know was an old. She was moving kind of slow, but her voice, that raspy voice, was absolutely intact, and we only rehearsed it you know, once or twice, she comes on the second act, Gooch. And the audience, it was just this packed, you know, Broadway-sized audience and you know, it's all every gay guy in town and and uh, waiting for Peggy Cass. <laughs> and since she came on and, oh my God, the, the applause. And she didn't realize, uh, in a way, she, I, and I believe her, she didn't realize just the great affection that people had for her in that role. And, um, and every line she said was exactly the same line reading as the movie, which she hadn't done in 50 years. It was exactly the same. So, I mean, the night went on for a long time because every she got an ovation <laughs> on every single line of dialogue, including the and and the the. It was, it was the most basic <laughs> thing. And it was so thrilling. And then at the one point, you know, I, as Mame, I'm dragging her up the stairs, live, live, live. I'm dragging her up the stairs, live, live, live. And I'm thinking, I know that I'm not Roz, but this really is Gooch. <laughs> yes. it, it was the most surreal thing. I've, I've walked into the movie. It was like Purple Rose of Cairo. I've walked into the movie. So taken, you know, I'm, with Rosalind Russell's performance, and I've been so memorized. I have every line reading memorized, and, and it seemed to me just perverse to try to do the opposite and just yep. say to be be myself but just do it wrong you know but I, I i kind of think if i was going to do it again i think i would uh hold on to Roz, but maybe not quite as as um meticulous as i as i was got it yeah but, but it, i mean it, 
thrilling. And then we did it again. Another reading was uh, Marion Seldes was my Vera and Susie Kurtz was Gooch. And, and oh, and things with Peggy Cass. So she had this incredible night and she said she felt like Maria Callas at the Met. And she, but she, and she died about a month later. Oh, but, but, you but know, she had that night. She had this night and she said it was, the, she said, I think this is the greatest night of my entire life. So oh, what, wow. a way, what a way to go. Come on. What a way to go. You killed Peggy Cass. She had nothing left to live for. <laughs> that was kind of it. You know, that <laughs> was in the obituary. That's where you kind of hope to go. Yeah. <laughs> that's how Josephine Baker went. You know, the great Josephine Baker uh, made a big comeback in Paris with a, a huge Follies type show all, uh, where she reenacted scenes from her, her life. And it was a big comeback. And she was, in her, I guess she was way up in her 70s. And she came back to her hotel, her hotel room and, and the reviews came out and she had the, all the reviews on her bed just saying that she was greater than ever and the greatest comeback. And she went to sleep and died. Oh. You know, I mean, a, isn't that how we'd all like to go? Sure. Yeah. May we all go like that, my God. I'd like to roll in my reviews. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do now, right? Well, you they're know. all on the internet, so, oh, so just, I just hug a computer. <laughs> and then, one of the things I find so interesting about anti-mame and how powerful the story is, I just want to run our, the timeline really quickly, if I may, for our listeners. So the book comes out in 1955, and then in 1956 is the play, and then in 1958 is the film. And the film ends up being the second highest grossing film of 1958. So this thing was incredibly popular right from the get-go. Yeah, oh, the book was a huge bestseller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Fast, fast, fast. Have we, have we all read, I'm assuming we have, but have we all read the book, the actual book itself? Yeah, I'm rereading it right now. Wonderful. Yeah. Actually. There's a wonderful, marvelous book that Richard Jordan, Jesus, what's Richard Tyler Jordan wrote uh, called "But I, but, but I'm your, but I what's it called um, but I, darling, I'm, I'm your anti -mame. I'm, but uh, darling, I'm your anti mame, and it's a whole history of of anti mame from the novel through uh, through the musical film, and it just tells you every possible thing you'd ever want to know about all, all, all the different inc different incarnations. Yeah, it's a great, great book. Do we have a favorite incarnation of this? You know, I prefer the, you know the book over the movie or the musical over the 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 book. Anyone I prefer, well, I, I prefer the uh, the mo the movie. Actually, yeah. I think, I think in some there's it's one case where you know um, I guess from what I've read, um, Rosalind Russell was kind of annoyed or angry at um, Lawrence and Lee, who adapted the the play. She wanted. She, to the play to close when she left to make the movie. She was so, felt oh. that was her role and huh. she was so identified with it that she didn't want to be replaced, even though she, her husband, uh, Frederick Brisson, was one of the producers, I believe, but she wanted to close. But they thought, no, it was a huge hit and there was more life in it and it ran another you know, year or so after she um, left. And so, they, so she was so bitter that, that she uh, kind of had her revenge and, and didn't, ha it's, I don't know how she had the clout, but supposedly she, she was the one who insisted that Compton Green, Betty Compton Adolph Green do the uh, film screenplay and Lawrence and Lee were very really? upset about that. I did not know that. But there, there's some, every, ver every version it gets toned down a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. the play is racier than the movie. The musicals is less racy than the, 
movie, each one gets watered down. And then yeah. by the time Seal Ball got it, it's really watered down. But uh, I think the movie in some ways I think is my favorite, but there yeah. are lines, you know, there is, um, you know, when I did the, the play, uh, oh, there's a w wonderful speech where um, Patrick, at, you know, when, she, Patrick's grown, grown up and he, and he falls in love with Gloria Upson, this awful debutante. And, uh, and he goes to see Auntie Mame and is so, uh, doesn't want to bring his fiance to see her because he's embarrassed by uh, her lifestyle. And, and in the play, he really lets her have it. And he says, and I don't want my Gloria to be uh, exposed to your airy fairy friends from Fire Island. And yeah, I mean, it's- oh. Yeah, it gets he gets kind of homophobic there. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's a little racier. But, you know, that was all toned, that was toned down somewhat. Yeah, I I don't remember that. My God, now I want to go back and reread that. Um, <laughs> okay, so, okay, Charles, it's a, it's a big question in our community, and we'd just like your opinion on it. Lucille Ball, Mame, thoughts? Oh, I, I hate adding more criticism no. to that, but... You know, it's just, you wonder what possessed them all. I guess it just, I think at that point, I, I question, I mean, certainly Angela Lansbury, you know, would have been the best one to play that part, you know, but one question by, by, by mid seventies, whether there really was that audience for, for that. Sure. It, would have, it would have to have really been done so well to, to get past just that the kind of movie just wasn't being made in the mid seventies. Yeah made well let's put yeah. it that way yeah but right. you can understand that i guess they felt it was something that was going to be cost so much money to have a more assured star and there really is it's a very hard part of the cast people don't understand you know I, i'm always on these lurking on these uh, broadway chat rooms and stuff and you know and people are giving their thoughts and it's always every it's always who's gonna play who should play Maine, and and that you think, oh, honey, thank God none of these people are in show business. <laughs> they, they just don't understand. It's not one size fits all, you know. And yeah. They're, they're so, it's a very, it's a much more difficult part to cast than Dolly Levi, who can actually be this or this or this or that. And um, name, and she has to be aristocratic. She has to be um, the way, unless she's going to rewrite the whole, have a whole new version, rewrite yeah. the whole thing. But you know, she, she has to be rather waspy because the way the story goes, you know, uh, and she has to be very ele elegant and soigné and, and play high, high comedy, but also be an actress who can play, play uh, the sentimental parts. Uh, she has to be a, kind of a broad comedian in some ways, but also a very, very sophisticated comedian. I just don't, I don't know who these ladies are today. I'd, once anyone you mention, you could say, oh honey, she's, you know, she's vulgar as dirt, you know, or- yeah. You know, you, it's just not an easy part to to cast. It's, so. I mean, it, yeah, you like you're saying it's it's such a large range, and so many things are required of that of that. It's not that it's not Bette Midler. No, no, or, or no. even or it's not. It's not share. No, it's, it's not, these people don't to have all those different colors. You can't just have two or three. You have to have the whole the yeah. whole spectrum to to pull it off. And yeah. Was there someone from the, the, the golden age of, of movies, you know, someone from the cast of the women that you would love to have seen play Auntie Mame? If, if, you, could, if you could do your time machine. Well, well, of course, you know, the, the, great, the great heartbreak is it, with the musical is that Judy Garland. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. and, uh, and she desperately wanted to replace Angela Lansbury and 
and um, the producers just felt that she was too fragile at that point and uh, to pulled it off and they didn't cast her in that but how wonderful would she have been you know um, my god um, and but I guess originally oh well so many of them played it you know I think you know, I'm sure I, I Constance Bennett must have been wonderful in, in what she did the tour and supposedly Eve Arden was fantastic. I, oh, I, that I, I, I question, I would think she's so, she's so knowing in a way that I just, there's a certain innocence in me. In oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I would, I have trouble imagining, but she got rave reviews when she, she did the tour. Yeah. She loved, loved her. Yeah. Say like the roundabout because they're the only people with money, uh, did a, a splashy revival of it now or like Lincoln center. Who, who is the woman well, that, I, I think I keep interrupting. I'm I'm the worst guest. I you are the best. We're here guest. for you. We're here for you. Honestly, no. By over here, I'm every any talking to me is like a, watching a Robert Altman film. I'm just always <laughs> dialogue, just overlapping, darling. It's like you're in Nashville. Yeah, uh, just jump in. Oh, and um, I I think Donna Murphy could play that part very. Yeah. Well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's a big enough star to um, to justify it, but I, I to me she has all the qualities that could play that part. I've heard rumor that uh, uh, Tony Collette is going to do it, and that really? intrigues me. The the musical or the play? The musical. Well, they have to do a huge rewrite on that, honey, because that that's yeah. that first of all the the main number, the lyrics, all about the the South yeah. rising and Dixie, and and that's not going to go over too well today. Yeah, no. And and I did find you know it's interesting. I I'm the last one to ever say that something is dated. I don't even know really what that means, dated. You know, people are, but when I did the, that tour, it was an interesting thing. When we did the first, the, the uh, special event nights, Peggy Cass, and it was all gay audience who, you could, it was clear that everybody in that audience knew the entire movie by heart. They could have just gotten on stage and just played it. Uh, and so it was just the laughter, it just went on and on. It was like the circus. Well, when I did the tour and we played a Gonquit Summer Theater and then Bay Street. And yeah, yeah. And, and this time we were playing for, for audience, just very mixed audiences that were gay, straight, subscribers. And, and we had a highly skilled cast. I mean, really, the, uh, it was Penny Fuller was my Vera for the tour. Oh. Everybody, everybody, may not been well known, but they were just skilled players. It, it was very well done. But we, a lot of, a lot of laughs weren't so, getting, we weren't getting those laughs. And I you think about it, and, so it, it it was sort of dated, you know, the stuff where Auntie Mame sends the little boy to the, the nude school. A lot of these people didn't find that so funny. They didn't find it, the idea of, you know, what was so outrageous in the 50s of, of a, a woman pregnant out of wedlock baby and she's pregnant. You know, it didn't seem so funny in the, the southern, you know, the burlesque of the sort of southern plantation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Certain things, what, what worked, Interestingly, were the the sentimental and dramatic moments. I had one. I was very lucky that that I had a wonderful young actor, uh, Max von Essen. Oh, Max played, played older Patrick, which is kind of a stiff part. But he's a he's a fine actor, Max. And so we really played those scenes. And so you know when he did the airy fairy friends from Fire Island speech and all that. I mean, he it was very you know charged and and then then. The, when we had our uh, reconciliation, you could feel the the basic premise of this woman and this boy 
it was very, very potent and very primal and strong and, and that, that played, but a lot of the comedy just didn't, just seemed kind of a little, little hokey or, or politically incorrect and just what didn't, people didn't think it was that funny. It, 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 it was just interesting. So I don't know about, you know, a revival, you know, whether they could just, you know, just do it as is. And it's, it's different, like Hello Dolly is it's really is timeless, that, that, mm -hmm, yeah. that script. But MAME is a bit of, uh, of a 50s phenomenon. I wish I, I've never seen the musical on uh, stage. I um, almost went down to DC when Christine Baranski was mm. doing it in the wrong role, because uh, <laughs> she was MAME, but she's Avira. Um, but there were rumors that it was going to come into the palace. So I was like, oh, I'll just wait till it comes here. And then it did not. So um, I'd like to see it once. I've yeah, seen well, it. Yeah. yeah, it was ex exciting when I was a kid with Angela Lansbury. And that was a, there was something yeah. very fresh about it, too. You know, Angela Lansbury at that time. I mean, it's funny, you know, when I say that, oh, all these people who are banded, names are bandied about and all wrong. And yet I'm sure there are a lot, a lot of people in 1965 when it was announced that Angela Lansbury was going to be famous. I thought, oh, that that dowdy woman from the Shearian candidate that's name she can't do that it turned out of course she was she was uh, brilliant in it and it was a big surprise and a very fresh thing and suddenly Angela Lansbury was reinvented as this glamorous sophisticated musical comedy star that was yeah great. yeah that's yeah that's true I was trying I mean uh, if they did a you know a revival of the play you know mm -hmm. not the musical maybe Allison Janney oh she seems to me like she can do yeah. just about anything for me. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of well, her. Kate Blanchett can play anything. Or Kate Blanchett. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a great. Oh, that's a Tell really Sue Janney could be her Vera. Yeah. Or yeah. they could just, you know, True West style it or Little Foxes it every night. <laughs> Flip a coin and then yep. off they go. That's and who they're on as. Speaking of Vera <laughs> Charles, if I may, uh, one of the th highlights to the movie for me, and I'm assuming for all of you as well, is, is Coral Brown as oh. Vera Charles. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about this performance? I mean, we have B. Arthur's, which is, you know, also committed to record, which is great. Uh, but Coral Brown gives her a real run for her money. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's so divine in that. Just every line reading and, and uh, yeah, yeah, just, it's interesting the relationship with Vera and Maine too, that, that even though Vera's, you know, drunk so much, she's sort of the, the sharp one and with Mame is kind of scattered, and but you know, it, I, I've known actresses though who are <laughs> just very strong and very opinionated, and every but all their opinions are nuts. Yeah, <laughs> you would never want to take any of their advice, but they're very strong about it. <laughs> very, yeah, this is darling. This is what you must do, and uh, I think that's a, no. But uh, yeah, and I think that Coral Brown just gets that so perfectly. Yeah, she's she's pretty wonderful in this. Vincent Price's wife. Yeah, Vincent yeah, Price's she's wife, the wittiest woman ever. This is great, the marvelous Coral Brown stories, the things that she, she said. I mean, she kind of was was Vera Charles. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Robbie? Fan of fan of hers? Oh yeah, I think she's brilliant in the film. I don't think there's an actor in the film who's out of place. No, no, it's perfectly cast down the line. Yeah, yeah that. The casting is, and you know, most child actors, 
to me, I feel they always feel fake, phony. This young man who's playing younger Patrick to me, mm-hmm. I feel is fully invested in this, and he played it on stage, correct? Yeah, he did that. Yes, on yes. The he was a little mature when they made the guts around to making the movie, but yeah, they, yeah, he was very good. Jan Hanslick. Yeah, who's who's an attorney now? I looked him up. He's wow. an attorney now in California. Salino and Barnes. <laughs> little, boy, little boy who did the tour with me was um, we, we we wanted to make sure we didn't get some real cutesy kid who was just going to be like you know just real fake. Yeah. So we cast this rather serious little boy, but uh, who was real professional. <laughs> Rather coldly professional, <laughs> and I was hoping. I don't know. I, you know, I guess I was hoping to rekindle my relationship, just relationship I had with my aunt. You know, but with the roles reversed, and I was kind of hoping this little boy would be me. At oh. and and he wasn't. He was a, a real professional actor. Oh. And <laughs> at one point, we were in rehearsal. We, we were sort of standing on the side while their director was staging this party scene and, and this little boy turns to me and says uh not enough blocking <laughs> he was he was right yeah you know? he, he i i he was a little chilly and at one point i got very it was i was very sorry you know late lucy i you know we had been playing the show for a little while and i i said kid and i don't, i just don't believe you love me and uh, <laughs> you know, so you've got to be on, on stage they gotta believe you love me and you gotta be affectionate with me and, and all the physical with me. And you know, all right. <laughs> but he really he bonded with he was he was a little straight boy. He uh, he bonded with the actor playing uh, Beauregard and they used to toss the ball and all that. Oh, that's and I was very disappointed because oh, I, I, I took one off stage that he would just find me fascinating and he could care less. <laughs> Well, I find you fascinating. We find you fascinating. Actually, Charles, would you go back for a second? I'm so curious. You said your aunt was named Lillian. Is that right? Yeah. The aunt that you lived with? Yes. Well, Lil, yeah. Lil, so what was that relationship like for you? How did she encourage you? How did she inspire you? Really the most important person in my life. Uh, most, yeah, influential. Uh, well, I was growing up first in, in Westchester, in Hartsdale, but I, but all my life I was uh, spending weekends with, with her, and uh, I think you know my mother had three kids. I was the youngest, maybe you know, kind of get me out of my mother's hair. But so I was, I we just had this relationship very early on, and then she, she, um, she, she was from Cincinnati originally, but came to New York in 1932 uh, and never looked back, and just reinvented herself as a you know New York lady, and just adored adored New York to her dying day, just loved it so much. Uh, and I think she, would, it was funny, we were both sort of mutual anti-mames in a certain sense. I think that my aunt, I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been you know, writing a book and, and I think my aunt was so, it was absolutely fascinated by this I mean, I, I speak about, I can try to speak about myself in an objective way, but just, I think I was a, something of a magical child, to be quite honest with you. And, and, uh, and she was just enchanted with my creativity and my sense of fantasy and, and my um, just curiosity about everything around me. And she just loved that. And so she started taking me to Broadway shows when I was, uh, I guess, eight. You know, and, and uh, just we had so many adventures 
she was just a remarkable woman. And, and, and she didn't, um, well, in, in one sense, you know, I think the, a, a mistake a lot of parents make is that they have a certain fantasy of who they want that child to be. And then there's a disappointment when that kid isn't athletic or that kid is, isn't that. And mm-hmm. I, I do believe my aunt was the type of lady that whatever I was, she would have thrown herself into. Had I been a kid who was into science, she would have uh, somehow uh, gotten into it. Or, you know, you know, but I do think that she was very fortunate that she got this kid who shared her same cultural interests. So, so it, it, it helped. But, but yeah, we, we just had great adventures. And then when I was in such bad shape, in, by the time I was, in, I was still living in Westchester, though, and she lived in Murray Hill in Manhattan, you know, when I was, uh, I guess, 14, going to go into ninth grade, and I just got so confused and lost and flunking out of school. And that's when she stepped in and, and had me move in with her full time in New York City. Uh, you know, and, and um, you know, it was, it was emotional. I was, you know, I was very, very in a sort of state of hysteria. You know, I, I wasn't so easy. You know, but we we got we got through it, and and um, I got into high school of music and art, you know, which was very good for me. It was good school for a academic academically traumatized kid, you know. And uh, so, so we yeah we we did that, and, and um, yeah, she we just found each other endlessly fascinating. <laughs> basically, I love basically. that. Yeah, and yeah, so she um, was just. I guess what I got from her, so many lessons, you know, she's been, she died at a nice old age uh, in uh, 1999. Um, and I, she used to warn me and my sister, you know, um, she said, don't, don't make me out to be Mrs. God. But in a way it was hard not to because she was so unerring, unerringly right in all of her, her choices for us, you know, the way she, Kind of carved out our our lives, and um, she had such remarkable insight. She was a woman of just extraordinary insight. Uh, it, it bordered on the psychic that she just mm. she, she knew how people worked. Yeah, you know? you know, I always think that I always say that if we had been on the Titanic, she would have figured out right from the start that there's a those icebergs, and we would have been we would have been in that first lifeboat. You know, just she would have figured it out in, in advance. I, I, there's something. There's not enough lifeboats. There's not enough. I, I see it all. We got. We better just stand right up there right now. You know. So uh, yeah. No. But I, one of the things I I don't recall her actually teaching me, but maybe it was just because of just who she was. But I was blessed with um, never having that sensor in my head of what will people think. You know, that is, what will people think? That has put more, stopped more people in their tracks than anything mm. that's here. And it's something that's never, ever occurred to me, ever. So for me, so people say, have said to me, oh, when you started doing drag, oh, that must have been so, that's so brave of you. And just to kind of play in drag. And uh, I think it never occurred to me not to. I, I don't know, I just thought it'd be fun. And, and it's who I am. And I was kind of androgynous and I just, it's a natural way to express myself, and I had a bit an ability to evoke Rosalind Russell and Betty Davis and all of that, and it's what I do, and so why not? You know, that'll be fun to do. So yeah, but I think I, I was just don't have that 
thought of what will people think. And I, so I, and I believe that maybe she gave me some of that, that whether it's a, a confidence or a, I don't know quite what, what that is, but it's certainly been very helpful to me. So yeah. there, there are many lessons. There are many lessons that she taught me and, and some of them, um, I don't know, were so helpful. I, particularly being in showbiz. Well, you know, one of the things that she, it was a big theme, she was very intellectual. And there was a big thing of, and her part thing was to examine yourself, your, your, examine your motives and not do something out of, what she said, ego gratification or mm. pushing yourself into situations where you're not really wanted. And that's very hard, difficult in show business where you have to kind of push yourself in where you're not wanted, you know? And so often I, 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 I analyze everything. You know, if, oh, if, if somebody, somebody dies, and I'm in, and and do do I go, you know, to when they're sitting shiva or something, you know, or do they really want me there, or am I am I pushing myself in because I want to be part of the mythology of that famous person who died, or you mm -hmm. know, you know things, you know, stuff that all these things I analyze everything, you know, and I think I got that from her just. Uh, make sure your motives that your motives are, are pure yeah but but yeah. sometimes in show business that's not so helpful you just <laughs> you got, True. your face in you know got to talk, <laughs> you know <laughs> she was very unshow busy yeah and I, yeah but i i've put, i write so much about her on facebook and you know uh that it, it's so interesting that you know, I had a story, I wrote a story, uh, about, well, I've written this book memoir that I'm in the process of shopping around and um, the chapter of it was just published in the New Yorker last week. And it's just an extraordinary thing. I, I, I really just cannot, still can't quite believe it that I had a story in the New Yorker last week. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really incredible. And particularly somebody who was flunking at a school that, that I actually, you know, I'm in the New Yorker, you know, yeah. with, with Dorothy Parker, you know. And, yes. uh, Anyway, but it's a story. It's a story is all about the, the first summer that I lived with, with my Auntie Mame. And, um, and so it just, it, it's so weird that, that so many people, you know, uh, are taken with her, you know, and, and feel like they know her and all that. And, and she, she would have no idea that, that, that with the internet that, that people, you know, yeah. It's a, yeah. Mm. We're really going off the topic, though. No, no, not at all. Yeah, you also man. talk about your aunts on your fantastic album. Uh, you have a live album uh, yeah. that was recorded at 54. Sure. That's how we met. But yeah. uh, you it's talk about her on there. Yeah, no, she's just uh, um, so influential to me. And, and it was sort of odd in a way that, that here she kind of groomed me to have confidence and to do whatever I wanted to do and, and to think that everything I, and she thought everything I, everything I wrote or did was, was brilliant. And, and yet things didn't quite turn out the way she expected because I, I don't think she didn't really quite get the drag thing. You know, she was oh. a certain, certain generation and as sophisticated as New Yorker she was, I think that it was a little hard for her to take, wow. take that one. But you know, yet she kind of groomed me to have that uh, you know, audacity to just yeah. Yeah. go for it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so how do we get back? Well, to I'm going to make a hard right turn back into the film please, uh, and talk <laughs> about uh, sort of the making of it for a minute uh, because it's directed by the stage director, Morton DaCosta, um, yeah. who is also the voice of uh, Patrick Dennis's father in the voiceover. 
uh, doing his, yeah, doing his will at the top of the film. Uh, and he also, he, he directed for screen his two major uh, theater hits, um, the, which you saw in a double feature, Antimame and the Music Man. Um, and both of them uh, use a lot of stage blackouts, which is a really interesting thing. Like, you don't see that. Well, Auntie Mame really, in some ways, is is was a photograph play. Yeah, it's it's not terribly cinematic. I mean, the, you really have these are aware of these big sets that they're oh, yeah. moving around. Well, I mean, it's so it really is so um, faithful to the play. Mm -hmm. Just cleaned, mm -hmm. slightly cleaned up a bit. Well, yeah, they changed the most famous line. Yeah. Uh, yes, which is uh, "Life is a banquet." And most uh, sons of bitches are starving to death is the stage version of it. And then uh, most poor suckers are starving to death suckers. is the was suckers. Is Lucy in, in the musical? Does she go back to sons of bitches? I uh, think so. Let's, I'm going to give that a goog while you guys. Uh, yeah, I think that is correct. So, Charles, let me ask you. Let's imagine you only get one scene of this film to show people who have never seen Anti-Mame before and you have to say with this scene, this is really the essence of the film. Yeah. What scene would that be? Well, I guess, well, in certain sense, yeah, I would, the first party scene when he, when the little boy first arrives. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I guess if I wanted to show just a perfect example of, of Rosalind Russell at her comic best, I would show her uh, on the, at the switchboard Oh yes, this this which... precision. I I had to do. I did that scene. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah I, I can I can imagine. But oh. yeah, that's that, that's that's a fantastic one. Um, and then here we go, Charles. Your next question. She wears incredible outfits in this film, right? And has amazing hairstyles. Do you have a favorite style that she wears, or a favorite fashion moment? Huh. Hmm. I, I, I get sort of mixed up because there, there were two famous Hollywood designers, Ori Kelly and Travis Banton. And, and, and Ori Kelly did this movie. He did the movie and mm -hmm. Travis Banton did the stage, I think. Must have. Yeah, I think that's how it worked. Uh, gosh. Uh, and then my friend Bob McIntosh did the musical, which were gorgeous costumes. Oh, friends. yeah. Those were, they were wonderful. He was, good, he was a good friend of mine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I guess that you know uh, the red, the Lady Iris costume. Ah, Lady Iris mm -hmm. with the reindeer bells. <laughs> There's so many quotes from that movie. There's so often in my life, you know, I, it, I just I'm in moments that are, remind me from that movie. And I guess I think that's probably true for a lot, a lot of gay guys that we just they're just moments. I mean, I well, you know, I, I went to the, the last the last time before the <laughs> pandemic when I, I went to the uh, hair hairdresser. You know, and uh, and I, I don't know, I put all sorts of blonde crap in my hair, you know, and, and so that had to take take that out, and you know, and I, I it was just perfect right from the movie. I remember I, I said, oh, you know, respectable if a bit drab, you know, but it happens when Auntie Name goes the ups and takes the or the red out of her hair and goes gray. Yeah, yeah. respectable if a bit drab. <laughs> I love it. Oh. Um, uh, Lucy says, "Sons of bitches." Ah. Yeah. Just yeah, fact checking in real time. Yeah, it was seventies. They were trying to be a little more. Well, She's edgy. She's yeah, edgy. Everything is so, you know, um, toned down and in that musical and just yeah. It's just I, not. It's just not that wacky a lady, you know. And, 
um, yeah, it's just um, it's a it's a it's a misfire. Nothing quite, nothing quite, work, nothing quite works out. I mean, and I, I, it's even sort of um, sacrilegious to say, but I, I don't even find B. Arthur quite successful in that movie. It's, no, you know, it's they're in different worlds. Yeah. yeah, it's directed again by state the stage director Gene Sachs directed the musical, and I don't know that he was necessarily the the guy to make his first film be that it's very functional it's a uh-huh. you know it's a functional film yeah i think the most successful performance is joyce van patten as uh, Sally yes Sally Cato. yes yeah. i love her she's, well, she's always great joyce van patten and and, and the little boy is just totally talentless and He's yeah. like a he's like a children of the corn child that's like wandered into the film. Sure. He's he looks right. Like Bunker. He looks like Carol O'Connor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the original choice was Carol O'Connor. For nothing going on there, you know. Just... <laughs> and of course, Jane Connell uh, reprised her role, replacing Madeline Kahn, who was fired like a day in. Right. So yeah. It's yeah. just I rewatched it recently, uh, hoping and uh, my yeah. hopes. And Much like 2016, were not met. I know some of these movies that, that you know we all hated early on, or they got bad reviews, and I go see them again. I thought, oh, you know, maybe we really were too harsh. No, yeah, not at Although, all. actually, you know, I was watching Sweet Ch- the musical Sweet Charity the mm-hmm. other night, and um, I don't know, there, there's some pretty wonderful things in that movie. Um, same here. I watched it yeah. last week and have found a new appreciation for it. And, and I get, you know, yes, and this it's. You know, one wishes somehow that Gwen Verdon had been young enough to play the part still and could have done it. You know, we have to be content with one, fortunately, wonderful YouTube clips of her yes. doing it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think Shirley MacLaine, she's not Gwen Verdon, but she plays it less sticky than one would think. I mean, it's a part that could really be, you know, it's so tears behind the smile. And she... Um, She's, she's a fine actress, say what yeah. you will. Yeah. And Cheetah Rivera and Paula Kelly and, and then you know, the, the rich man's frug, which is oh. a critical number. I, 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 I mean, Bob Fosse is working out stuff for the first time on camera and yeah. like he. Great he, cinematography, great yeah, editing. He yeah. Or the fruit of that years later in other films. But. In Cabaret, he got it, got it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah. He's just like throwing everything by the kitchen sink with you know, right. screens and. And slow motion freeze frames yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's, suddenly he's enjoying the technique of the movie and movies and but i uh, then there are other things i remember there was a movie um billy wilder's one of his last movies fedora that was a huge flop and and um i went to see it and see it again thinking maybe we were too harsh and oh this is terrible <laughs> and then, maybe, i tried to watch it again thinking oh let's Try to just enjoy for what what it is, and and actually, I think I do think that Lucy uh, has some some nice moments toward the end when she's when her regular her own age, mm-hmm. yeah, coincides with with Mame, and and you know, and I think Lucy was a was a good dramatic actress when she yes when she yes the opportunities, and I think she's rather rather certainly I, I imagine that she being the mother of children going through adult children going through a difficult time is something that she was able to relate to and you know in that period and and um i just I wish she could sing those scenes she yeah. i think she has a real real truth to and um i, I buy it you know yeah this, the I scene just, before oh what were you gonna say robbie uh, i was gonna say i just wish she could sing the score 
Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate because Jerry Herman, that score is very good. And stunning. uh, You know, um, uh, if you walked into my life is a spectacular song that I don't think she could put over because she couldn't sing it. Yeah. But but ultimately still, no, it is because there's certain things, you know, I have a friend. um, Oh, no, we're still here. Yeah. Because of my internet, occasionally I freeze up, you know, um, because my, my internet connection is all screwy. So anyway, um, but uh, right now. yeah, I, um, I have a Facebook friend, Mark Milano, who has an incredible Facebook page. Uh, I think it's called Unlocked. Oh, shit. What is it? It's something that's all about dubbing. And he's oh. a wonderful sound editor himself. And he's actually, he's been able to, to take the original recordings of Roz and Russell and Gypsy and Audrey Hepburn and my fair lady, their recordings before they were dubbed and, and put them back into the footage. And, and in one case, it was interesting with Roz and Russell and Gypsy, he auto-tuned her. And so, so you think, oh, you know, she might've actually been able to, today, they might not have had to dub Roz. Sure. If they, with all this, and then with Audrey Hepburn and My Fair Lady, I, I guess the idea was just that that score at that point was so sacred that it had to be sung with beautifully. And, um, but you know, you, you kind of think that if if they had taken it down a couple of keys, that actually Audrey Hepburn kind of in the way she did Funny Face, she sort of could have done the whole thing. Yeah. And but but it would have yeah it never would have had. You know, this beautiful uh, uh, high soprano that you yeah. clearly had. You know? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that Facebook page though. That's that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's called. Is it called? Oh God, what's it called? Not, like like not forbidden, bro. Oh, we'll 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 find it. We'll post a link. Find, find it. it. Yeah, yeah. What is it? You find it, Robbie, or we'll post a link. No, we'll we'll post a link. Yeah, about really, it. really great. No, he's, For he's sure. So, yeah, he's so talented. Oh, he's got he's got Patty Duke doing her own singing from. Value of the Dolls and Nappy Wood and oh, and very interesting seeing what you know uh, what it's like you know yeah interesting. Let's take a moment and celebrate Joanna Barnes as Gloria Opsom. Oh, oh. <laughs> divine, divine, come on, Queen Joanna Barnes. <laughs> yeah, the Queen. Oh, genius yeah. in those line readings and yeah, it's it, just every line reading is so. So again, everybody in this film is. Uh, there's not a false. Better. There's not a false note in this film. No, there really isn't, and really in terms of the casting. But Tony hey, Gilchrist is um, Nora Muldoon, and yeah, mm-hmm. oh. yeah, and Upson Lee Patrick is so marvelous as Mrs. Upson. Yes, they said chutney and something about the orders. He's just plain Jack Cheese and chutney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Did She's you great. Know, did you know that Gloria Swanson tried to buy the film rights because she desperately wanted to make it as a film, but Roz Russell had already bought them? She really? Been, she probably could have yeah. pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, I would be very interested. I have to say, this is a movie that holds up. Yes, yes. I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's... Um, full of life and color and and uh yeah it's a celebration and we all have parents do you know we all have mm-hmm. you know older people in our lives that are mentors that doesn't go away that doesn't go yeah. away 
there's something it, very the things that really hold our fascination are, there's a almost a primal core to it like the wizard of oz you know there's there, there's scenes almost every scene in the in the movie of the wizard of oz hits you on this deep level of um, about your uh, uh, the confusion of of of, of childhood and and, and lo loneliness and, and then or her going you know with the when she's trapped in the witch's castle and she sees Auntie M's face in the oh yeah that was then yeah. turns into the the, uh, the time turner crystal ball, crystal ball and turns into uh, mm. uh, the the wicked witch and you know these things are so primal and, and Auntie Mame I think there are just certain ideas of 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 a, of a woman and a little and a child and um, yes you know her, who everybody wants to be taken under their wing you know and and there's a wonderful line in in the book and then not when when um patrick dennis uh the little boy first arrives at and and what's it something like uh when he first meets Auntie Mame and she says, darling, I'm your Auntie Mame. And she embraced him and I'm going to get choked up. He says, man, that, at that moment I felt safe. Yeah. It's, it's profound. It's, uh, yeah. And that's, that's the, the core of, of, of Auntie Mame. Yeah. That, that has to be there. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful sentiment. And you're right. You know, her, this character's whole mission is to make everyone around her feel loved. And to feel welcomed, and there's be the not, most be the most they can be, and be you, you can always be best. You can you can always be better. Um, it's it's that doesn't go away. That doesn't go away. And there's no self gratification from her from doing it. There's no maliciousness or nefarious in her. It's all about you are another human being, and I want to celebrate you. Yes. And, and she's vulnerable herself. Yeah, it's so it's so important those scenes when during the depression when she loses her money and she's, you know, and she starts, she's sort of humiliated and, you know, yes, it's very, very touching. There's, there's, this, I was watching it again today and I forgot about this tiny little moment that I love. It's, it's after she gets fired and she's walking back to the apartment and she sees a, a Salvation Army Santa. And even yeah. though she's got nothing, she's going to do everything possible to spend whatever money she has to give to them, even in her most desolate yeah. time. It's a beautiful, Wonderful moment. She, yeah. She's, yeah, she she can't. She instinctively tries to get a taxi and realizes that she can't afford it. Yeah, she has to walk home, and then she sees the Salvation Army person. And she takes the dime and puts it in. Yeah, it's a wonderful character yeah. thing. Yeah, and she and and the way Russell Russell plays it too is she doesn't think twice. She no. it's just she is yeah. She doesn't get all noble about it. She just you know puts it in. Yeah, really lovely moment. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the the final set piece of the of the film with the couch ah. and strings by by um, Ulu, right? The, yeah. Ulu. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Mame Dennis's apartment renovates eleven times through the film. <laughs> Not even a joke. It's insane. But that final the the final far set piece of it where the couches go the oh, different fabulous. bits of the couch are up and that's down. Not, that's, that's not in the play. That's <laughs> in the movie. And yeah, where they could do that. Yeah. So marvelous. All that physical comedy. Hysterical. Hysterical. We, you know, when, when I did it uh, in some, some stock, 
we had one the, our, our first night in Agonquit, Maine, really was, it was noises off. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it's a big show, you know, mm-hmm. and we had, we, we, the tech rehearsal with all these poor apprentices, there was too much scenery. And, you know, and so we, it just got, it was just a disaster. We didn't get through the tech rehearsal. And finally a big statue conked an apprentice over the head. She had to be carried out on a, on a stretcher. And, uh, and we, and so calls were made to Actors' Equity to do we go on that night. And somehow we, the show was like an hour and a half late and, and the producer announced to the audience, that, um, the show is late tonight because the, the actors fear for their safety. <laughs> And, and so it was just this insane thing where all the scenery was in weird angles and Mr. Upset had, had to climb over the sofa to try to get over to me. And, you know, and, and at one point, the, the spiral staircase, I was trapped off stage. I couldn't get in. And, you know, finally I had to try to get there. And, and when, when we would get there, the poor apprentices, they had, if they got the set on, they had none of the props. And we had never actually teched the at, at the last scene where where I light all everybody I serve Auntie Mame serves drinks these strange cocktails to all yeah, the yeah. guests and then take lights and they all go up in flame and torches we never teched it and so uh, I would come out for this big scene darlings and uh, and first of all there's no there are no glasses so I, so I, I said Pegeen um, is I said Pegeen would you would you go bring the, the, the glasses on? <laughs> so the actress playing the game runs off stage. She comes on with a big tray, you know, of glasses. And so I, I, we serve them around. And I, I see there's no way to light them. And I, plus, I've never even rehearsed it. Anyway. I said, um, Pegeen, would you, would you go and see where the lighter is? <laughs> and the next thing I know, some stagehand who I'd never seen before comes on stage, you know, with a bick. I said, no. I said, who are you? I said, no, I can't do that. You know, so finally, they just at this point, it was just mad. The audience was just hysterical. So I, I just broke character. Finally, I, I said, I said, darlings, I said, I said, this point in the story, I'm just gonna tell you what happened. <laughs> at this point, I, I light all, I light all the glass and I go up in flames. It's just fabulous. You have to come back another night and see that. And let's can we all continue, Vera? You know. Oh, it was just insane. But one of the well, one of the funny things was uh, uh, this, we had this lovely actress Jennifer Harmon playing Mrs. Upson, and so we come on to do this. We're in the scene where I visit the Upsons in Mountebank, and she's supposed to show me her scrapbook with photos, and there's no scrapbook, and, and it was just so facing this elegant actress just. Totally, she was just going to continue no matter what. And she said, looks around, there's clearly nothing there. I said, Mame, if I could just tell you a bit about the photos in my album. <laughs> she starts describing it. It was just hysterical. It, it was kind of fa- fabulous. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, okay. so Charles, we always ask this to, to our guests and we're going to ask you as well, which is why, why do we consider Auntie Mame to be part of our gay education, part of our, our, our gay culture. Why is this movie an important thing or we'll take your gay card away? Well, it's several things. It certainly was, it, it, it is, I, I think it, immediately on publication, I think it, that book was embraced by, by the gay um, 
it's a gay audience, but it was one of those, I think it was the first time though that the <clears throat> gay camp sensibility, comic sensibility became mainstreamed. It was a huge bestseller. It wasn't just gay people buying it, but I think it was one of the, one of the key times when the gay, pure gay sensibility was made mainstream. Mm. And then of course, and then the, the movie, it's play, and then, then the movie, it was a, it's, it's a kind of a, a camp dream and she's this outrageous figure. And I, and I think on a deeper level, I think that a lot of gay people can identify with, with the, if not, not necessarily that they had a, a parent or, or a relative, but how, how many young gay people have come to have a mentor, a gay mentor, you know, who, who now we call them their, their their drag mother or whatever, but but so often we've we've we have <clears throat> as Armistead Moppet calls our, our our logical family as opposed to our biological family, and so so many gay gay people have had that are lucky enough to have had the uh, an older gay mentor who's fabulous and ex exposes them to martinis and to you know. Uh, color and flamboyance that they hadn't seen before. And they may not be uh, 10 years old, they might be 20 years old, 25 yeah. years old. But so often we, we've had those, pe those people or we've played that role ourselves. Mm. You, know, we, you know, I've now as an older person, you know, I've, I've had my protégés. I, I got to sort of be, uh, when I, oh, well now he's, he's 30 years old, but, there was a, a little boy when he was 11 who was in a reading of a play of mine. And I was just taken with this kid. Just, and he reminded me a bit of myself at his age. And it was very out of character for me, but I, uh, I was so taken with him. He did this reading and, and I contacted his, his mother in Long Island. And I, I said, you, know, you don't really know me well, but I think your kid is just so, so special and reminds me a lot of myself that I would love to take him to the theater and I would pick him up at Penn Station and then put him back on the train. And, mm -hmm. and she'll, she, you know, took a leap and let me do that. And, you know, and, and it was so much fun and I, for me to be anti-Maine to this very intelligent stage struck kid. And I, I was able to take him to, you know, I, I do kind of know a lot of people. And so it was so much fun to take him to see Liza at the palace and go backstage and, and have him, go to her dressing room or, or um, Grey Gardens and mm. go back and meet both those ladies. And we had so many, and you know, he was a, he's a remarkable young man and a remarkable kid. And he loved Angela Lansbury so much. And, and when we started going to the theater together, it coincided with her return to Broadway in, in Terrence McNally's Deuce. And so we went to see all of each time she was in a play and I, we would go backstage because I know her a bit. And, and it was just marvelous the way she was so kind to him. And, and, and as he matured, you know, her, her, each time we'd go back and I, oh, one point it was great. I, uh, we went to backstage with one of her later plays, maybe Little Night Music perhaps. Mm -hmm. At this point, Sean had been, um, had applied to colleges and he had to decide whether or not to go to NYU or Fordham. And, and there was a whole problem with, about that and so I we were in her dressing room and I was telling her what, what's going on with Sean and and uh and suddenly oh she gets she's 
She stopped being anti-Mame. She turned into uh, the, the Manchurian candidate lady. And she just got like this real tough face on. And she said to Sean, this is your time. And you do exactly what you need to do. And I was like, wow. And, oh, it was just fabulous. Was, you know, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but, but, oh, going back to Mame, I'd say when we've, I think, was it one of the times we went to, we saw her, it happened to coincide with an anniversary of, of the opening night of Mame. It was some anniversary, and her dresser had um, fixed up her room with all sorts of pictures from, from Mame. Oh. And, and she, was, so she was kind of into it that night. And when we arrived backstage, she was standing at the top of the stairs, and she was, and she was totally struck a Mame pose. And she was doing this whole, and she sort of was Mame for us. Oh my God. Oh, and, uh, oh, oh, and I, I'll even go further. I mean, I just, yeah, because I don't know her that well, but I've had wonderful experiences with her. Uh, at one point, um, she and I did spend an afternoon together. Uh, we, uh, I had uh, met a, a person who was the head of the costume collection at the uh, Museum of the City of New York. And, and so they, and he said to me, um, oh, if you ever, on a Monday, we can give you, I can give you a private tour. So I mentioned this to Angela Lansbury. So I emailed him back and said, could I bring my friend Angela Lansbury? <laughs> and so we had this fabulous time. And then as we were leaving the museum, uh, it was pouring rain. We were in a taxi and, uh, and, and I, we were passing by Petrosian, the caviar restaurant. And I was half joking. And I said, oh, should we just, I said, should we just have a stop, have a cab stop and we should go into Petrosian and have ca blinis and caviar? And I said, let's do it. And I said, I said, but Mame, but Mame. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly we were Mame and Vera. I guess I sort of got to be Vera to her name. We went in and had this fabulous afternoon, a rainy afternoon in New York having caviar. And so yeah, so so I, in a way I got to play Mame with Angela Asbury. But, oh my God. You are for a moment. Yeah. That's just magic. That is just yeah, magical. Yeah, magic, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Envious. And I'm dumbstruck. You frankly. should. It was, it was, it was <laughs> extraordinary. Well, Robbie, do we want to do our, our favorite thing with, with Charles? Oh, yeah. Let's do it real quickly. Charles, we always do a little bit of trivia, uh, line trivia of classic quotes from films. And I'm going to let Rob do the first one. So you are just, this is, these are all from Anti Mame. You are so just going to fit, you're just going to fill in the blank for us. Okay, okay Charles? I have, to, I have to warn you all that it's a, one of the reasons I may be a playwright is that I, I am absolutely the worst at quoting perfectly um, lines from movies. Don't. Nope. I, I, I would misquote, there's no, there, there's, there's no place like where I'm home, you know, uh, <laughs> or, you know, I get it all wrong. I, that's why I had to write my own movie type dialogue. <laughs> Sorry, we'll try. I'll do my Honestly, best. Honestly, this bit is only in here because Rob Schneider really wants to host a game show. It's a, it's, it's, it's a hope for someday, and, and I haven't given <laughs> up the, I haven't given up the dream yet. All right, so we'll go first. So this is Patrick and Mame, and they're talking to each other, right? So you just need to fill in the blank. Patrick says, "Is the English lady sick, Auntie Mame?" She says, "She's not English, darling. She's from blank Pittsburgh." There you go. See. You there got you go. It. When you're when you're from Pittsburgh, you've got to do something, dog. There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Robbie, would you like to take question number two? Uh, yes. How bleak was my blank? Puberty. Yes. Puberty. But I also like oh, in the movie. I love when um, 
Jessica, uh, when she's working with Brian O'Banion, the Irish poet, and he's rewriting <laughs> her book, and he's, you know, from the caves, and he's, he's made it all pretentious, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the, and she's reading, reading, she says, but, you know, all the symbolism, you know, and, and he says, from the caves of Kakamura, I emerged whilst Deirdre wept with cool tears. <laughs> Wouldn't it be simpler to say that on the day I was born, it rained in Buffalo? Yes. He's got it. Okay, yeah. so now this is Mame waking up, and she says to Patrick, please, dear, your Auntie Mame's blank. Me? Hung. Yeah. Hung, yeah. very good. Yes, very well, good. I did, I did do the play after all, Don. Well, Charles, you're doing bit. great. Charles is yeah. a three for three. All right, Robbie, give him four. Oh, uh, this is Mame and Agnes uh, Gooch. This will calm you down. Oh, no. Uh, I don't even know what this is happening. You're welcome. It was Dodie Goodman, but I liked it. Keep going. You're- Dodie Goodman would be very good. Spirits yep. <laughs> do the most horrible things to me. I'm not the same person. What's wrong with that? Will it mix with blank? Dr. Pepper. Yes. Drink. And then, Charles, our last one for you. Mame says to Agnes, Agnes, where is your spine? Have you been taking my dictation for weeks and you don't get the message of my book? Live, that's the message. Agnes. Live? And Mame says, yes, life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. That's it. That's it. Charles, five for five. Yeah, see? You're a star. You got a perfect score. Charles is a star. Charles is a star. A store. A store. Charles is a store. I, I think I could replace, I can do that game, but it's hard for me sometimes just to, to verbatim. Like some, some people are just brilliant at that. Oh yeah, that's on our wheelhouse. But you were fantastic. Yeah. Charles, what, this has been such a joy. Can I tell you how much we appreciate you coming on to talk to us? I've had a ball, you know, it's because it's all, you know, it's things that I don't know often get to talk about. Well, Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. It's, it's, been, it's pleasure. been a damn joy for me. Please come back. All right. So, Robbie, what is everyone's homework then oh. for next episode? Uh, we're, we're moving from the realm of film into book. And we're going to have a Get Card Revoked book club and read The Velvet Rage. Well, this is, uh, this is the end of our little episode. Uh, say goodbye uh, to the people. Goodbye, people. We'll see you doing great.